This is Focus with Paul W. Smith on 760 WJR. Today with special guest host Bud Denker. Here's Bud. Well, it's great to be on the show today. Um, great to substituting for Paul W. Smith, a legend. So, uh, Paul, wherever you are in this world, I'm not taking your place, as we'll find out in the next two hours. But with me to, today to help me and hold my hand oh, is uh, Marie Osborne. No hand-holding here today, bud. You're awesome at this. You're a wealth of information. So interesting to talk to. This is going to be easy-peasy and very informative for our listeners. We get to really... Uh, do some cheerleading today, and we're happy to do it. Well, we've got a lot of great topics today, some exciting yep. topics, uh, all good news topics. Uh, we're going to start our show in a little bit after Steve Courtney with uh, uh, Rod Wood, president of the Detroit Lions. Um, we're going to talk to the folks with the NFL draft today. We're going to have Roger Penske, my boss, on later on today. And uh, he ensured me that there better not be any tough questions for him. And then we're going to talk about motorsports. We've got Joseph Newgarden from Team Penske, Ryan Blaney, the NASCAR champion. Then we're going to talk about the Grand Prix at the end of the show. So we've got some great guests. But first of all, we have the extraordinaire WJR sports analyst Steve Courtney joining us. Steve, welcome to the show. Mr. Bud, Marie, Hi, always Steve. a pleasure. Steve, we got a big game this weekend. Um, with you being the expert on all sports, of course, with football being at the top of the list, give me your thoughts on the game. Um, who wins and why? Well, certainly, Bud. Um this Super Bowl 58, uh, kind of a bitter pill to swallow for Lions Nation. Uh, many under the impression with that 17-point halftime lead, uh, we should be there. Uh, didn't turn out that way. So uh, you've got those 49ers, a point-and-a-half favorite over Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Some things at work here. Mahomes goes in an underdog with this Kansas City team. He is looking to become the first repeat champion in 19 years, as well as trying to solidify uh, their claim as a dynasty with their third Super Bowl title in the last five years. Then, of course, there's Brock Purdy, a.k.a. Mr. Irrelevant. Um, (laughs) You know, you you talk about uh, a, a guy who's rather polarized. All he has done in his 49er career is win. Uh, but yet there's still some folks that uh, raise an eyebrow as to whether or not he is the answer. I will tell you this, uh, with uh, a win over the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, that will be a tying sixth Super Bowl championship for the 49ers and would put Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, in the same conversation as the Hall of Famers Joe Montana and Steve Young. Then, folks, we have this Super Bowl for the first time being played in Lost Wages, the gambling capital (laughs) of the world. And here's the deal. Approximately 67.8 million adults, 26% of the adult population of the United States, could combine to bet $23.1 billion on Super Bowl 58. And then do you want to get into the Taylor Swift thing? I don't know. Um, yes, let's let's go there, Steve. Let's go there. Well, all I know, and, I, and I'm just saying this because I read the report, yeah. and look, I hope uh, she and uh, Mr. Kelsey last a lifetime. You know, I love love just like everybody else, uh, but I understand that she is expected to fly uh, to right. Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas from Japan 
after her concert on Saturday. So right. chances are better than that, she will be on hand. And I hear there are 89 prop bets alone on Taylor Swift that you can go bet on right now. So right. Uh, right. how about that? More Isn't than that any crazy? player, by the way. But More that's than any insane. Player. It is. It is. But yeah. it is. But you know, put your other hat on, um, Steve. Say you were Brad Holmes, and who's done an amazing job as a general manager for the Lions. Um, Got the draft coming up here. We're going to talk about in a bit with some great people from the draft. What do you focus on to get us to that next step? What is that missing link or links that need to get us to that next step of winning the NFC Championship and on to the Super Bowl in 2025? Well, uh, Brad Holmes uh, held his end-of-season news conference this past Monday, and uh, obviously he was very proud uh, with what this Lions team was able to accomplish. But uh, that being said, uh, you're talking about a team offensively that is rather elite. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, uh, they were able to stop the run. One of the better teams in the league, as a matter of fact, uh, at stopping the run. Stopping the pass, a completely different deal right there at the bottom of the league. So I think uh, as Brad Holmes goes into this offseason, he understands uh, that you've got to come up with a better secondary. I think Cam Sutton was uh, somewhat of a disappointment. Uh, They've got a decision to make on C.J. Gardner-Johnson. I know the locker room is hoping that Gardner-Johnson returns. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, We also know that the hot little blue and silver had one of the best group of big uglies in the National Football League. But now all of a sudden, uh, there is cause for concern because the Pro Bowl center, Frank Ragnow, who is just an absolute warrior, and uh, I'm a bit biased, but being a former center, it's the most important position in football. Can I say that? Um, (laughs) You just did. He made some cryptic statements after this season saying, look, he's going to sit down and think about his future. Look, this guy uh, had a toe uh, the last few years, uh, an ankle, uh, had a bad back, had a bad knee. uh, And he said, look, the season takes its toll on you. And he wants to be the best possible football player he can be, but he also wants to be the best possible husband and father. Um, So we'll have to wait and see. And Brad Holmes said, They're going to give him all the time he needs. Meanwhile, you've got our starting guards, Jonah Jackson and Graham Glasgow, uh, both headed uh, for unrestricted free agency. Mm -hmm. So uh, the O-line may have to be addressed, depending on how all this shakes out. Well, one thing we know is that um, after last year's draft, when people were doubting uh, Brad and the coach Campbell's picks, and you think about Jamar Gibbs, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, Jack Campbell, all players who made an impact on the team their first year. That doesn't happen very often. So we got to give him some confidence this year and and put it back to him to say, can you do it again? And we sure hope to do it again, don't we, Steve? Yeah, there's no doubt about it, bud. And, uh, you know, you can make the analogy uh, prior to uh, a couple of Sundays ago, uh, the last time the Lions were in the NFC Championship was 1991. Now at that time, you've got Barry and – uh, the rest of the boys in the band, and uh, they went to Washington, and things didn't pan out. But you were saying at the time, well, you know what? We've got a decent nucleus. Uh, maybe we'll be back sooner rather than later. Well, it was 32 years, to be exact. Uh, but that particular team did not have Brad Holmes uh, in that draft room uh, with Dan Campbell. And I've got nothing, nothing but confidence um, about what Brad Holmes is all about and uh, his drafts since he's become general manager has proven that. And when he said this past Monday that, you know, this was not 
a freak show. This was not uh, an accident that we got to the NFC Championship game. It was by design, and it was supposed to be. So uh, when he says that uh, they are going to make a triumphant return there, I uh, I tend to believe him. Well, we could never have imagined the euphoria the city saw, oh. could we? Um, we? We knew, we just all knew in our hearts that give us the opportunity Give us the chance to see what we've done this year with 12 wins and five losses, two more wins in the playoffs. This entire state and city aligned like things we've never seen before. So, Steve, thanks for being on the show. It's a great kickoff because we got Rod Wood after the break, don't we, Murray? We sure do. Stay with us here on WJR. Bud Dinker, president of the Penske Corporation, sitting in today along with me. You're listening to Focus here on WJR. And I'm Marie Osborne in with Bud Denker sitting in on focus here on WJR. Uh, Bud, with the great, great Lions season, there are so many people that were instrumental in making all that happen. But our next guest, really, I think we can honestly say was probably at the head of the spear. No doubt about it. Let me just uh, say a few factoids to remind everybody about this amazing Lions season. And Rod Wood, president of the Lions, will be here with us right now. We're coming off a 12-5 and regular season, the NFC North champions, two playoff wins at Ford Field, and a franchise record 14 wins. Rod, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. I'm so excited you're here for this few, the next few minutes. Well, happy to be here, but you know, I wish I was in Vegas. I wish I was in Vegas, candidly, but <laughs> I'm not. I know. We wish you were in Vegas as well, because if you were, there'd be a lot more of us that were there. But first of all, Rod, I want to thank you and Sheila Ford-Hamp and Brad Holmes, Chris Spielsman, Coach Dan Campbell, of course, and all the staff and players for the amazing season you provided us, the passion you brought, the excitement you brought to our city and state. And, you know, I, I was looking at some stats, Rod, and three years ago, shouldn't remind you of this, but we were sitting at four wins 18 losses and a tie. Since then, were you were 22 and 9. Rod, first of all, could you ever have imagined this? And secondly, how did it happen? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's hard to go back and, and predict what the turnaround was. But I, I did know at the time we were way better than a 4 and 18 team. Uh, we'd had so many close calls on, on wins that just slipped up, you know, through our fingers, including a 66 yard field goal that bounced off the crossbar and <laughs> went over and a 56 yard field goal in Minnesota, the last play of the game. Um, and we were playing hard and you could definitely tell that the team had not, you know, given up and certainly we're buying into Dan's message. Um, I think, you know, the turnaround, you know, started really even before we started winning games. Um, and then, you know, once we started winning, Winning is contagious, and it just kind of took off from there. And I really think two big turnarounds in last season were beating Minnesota at home, mm. preventing them from clinching the division on our field, and then you know beating Green Bay the last game of the year at Lambeau and knocking them out of the playoffs and Rodgers out of the division. And I mean that set us up, I think, for the beginning of what you know became this season. So um, the turnaround was long in the making. It didn't just you know click in at at one point. It was. Uh, part of a big process. Well, and I would say also, I would add one to that, and that was the first win of the season last year when you walked in to the defending Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs, and beat them on their own turf. What did that feel like? It was it was an awesome way to start the season. Uh, you know, national television again, Thursday night football, um, probably 20,000 Lions fans at Arrowhead 
you know, and going out and celebrating with them after the game was an incredible experience. Um, and I do, I do think it kind of cemented that we were, we were a real team and you could go into Arrowhead and beat them on their field when they're celebrating their Super Bowl victory from the year before. Um, and I think that's, you know, set us on the path to have this year become what it did. Yeah. You know, this team is what is done and, and what is done across the country is amazing. Let me just throw a few more stats. Uh, I look back at hard knocks that we had a couple of years ago that put us on the front page of the entire sports page for all these football fans that didn't know much about us or Dan, you know, the biting of the kneecaps, the grit, <laughs> right? The determination, the hard knocks of our city. We look at these numbers from the playoffs. The Lions and Bucks were the most watched NFL divisional game in 30 years, 49 million people. The championship game with the 49ers with 56 million people watching us, the highest it ever been as well. You know, Rod, people love the passion, the grit, and all of that. The question I have now in all these numbers is that are we the new America's team? Well, if we are, I'll take that label. You know, it's, uh, you know let America decide who's their favorite team, and certainly those TV ratings, and I think the the stadium energy at home games and on the road, you know, with our fans traveling, I, I think, um, you know, we've kind of caught something here, and I hope it continues uh, for many years to come. And I think this is just the beginning, as, as you know, Dan said at the end of the season, and Brad said with his press conference, that this wasn't a one-shot deal. This, this is something that we hope can be sustainable for a long time. And, uh, you know, we'll keep growing, hopefully, in popularity, and maybe we are America's team at that point. Well, I, th- I think we're there with those kind of numbers, so great job. You know, let's look ahead now. we get the draft in 77 days here right in our own backyard, right in downtown Detroit, which is also remarkable. The the job that you and and, and Brad and, and Coach Campbell did last year on drafting the players we had, Jamar Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, all impact players immediately, very seldom happens. People were knocking the draft when it was selected, but look what happened here. And as you look now into 2024, 77 days away, can you uh, give us a little peek under the tent here and what you're focusing on? Well, we're going to focus on the same thing, which is trying to find football players that fit our culture and, and what we're about. And, you know, those four guys you just listed were, were dead on with that. And you're right, we took a lot of criticism the night of the draft. And it is funny how people have these draft grades based upon their preconceived notion of what we should do versus – evaluating what happens after those guys get on the field. And certainly I think with, with Sam in particular and Jameer, you know, two dynamic offensive players and and branch was probably one of our best players on defense. And Jack Campbell is just, you know, kind of growing into being a great player. Um, You don't expect a team to start four rookies and then almost make the Super Bowl. And just think about how much better they'll be next year. Certainly this year drafting much later and only having one first round pick, it's going to make it more challenging, but, uh, I, I think that we've got the right team and certainly the right guy in Brad to, to find good football players that will help us in the future. And and you got the you know off season now. you got a lot of guys to be considered for re-signing, don't you? You've got some key players up front on the front line that we want to have, see around hopefully next year. But as we know, these are tough decisions you got to make. And at the same time, you got to develop them and grow them through the, uh, the draft as well. You know, the other thought I had when you are talking was when you walk out of that tunnel onto the stadium floor – and you see those fans here in Detroit, and you hear the noise. I mean, the decimal levels had to be unbelievable. What kind of feeling did you have, Rod, as you looked around and just took it in for a little bit? Or did you have the time to even take it in? I did. It, it was overwhelming. I, I think, you know, we had great home crowds 
all throughout the regular season, but that first playoff game against the Rams, you know, we opened the doors early. The place was completely full an hour before kickoff. Um, the energy felt like the end of the game, you know, before we even kicked off. The, the crowd was crazy and then, you know, started chanting Jared Goff, Jared Goff, which, you know, was amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then the whole energy throughout the game. And then I think it even might have been topped by the Bucks game because, you know, people knew if we won that game, we were going to get to go to the NFC Championship game. And the, the crowd was uh, impactful, probably helped us win the, the Rams game by forcing them to take a couple of timeouts that they didn't have at the end of the a game to get the ball back. So uh, it, it's not only great uh, for the city and for the fans, but it helps the football team. And knowing that you have this game coming up this weekend, knowing the disappointment, obviously, that occurred just a couple of weeks ago in San Francisco, what's your day look like on Sunday? Do you normal day for you? Watch the game? How do you treat it? Uh, we're actually down here in Florida getting some R and R. So we're actually going to go to the spa during the day and then go, go over to a friend's house and watch the game. And, uh, I'll probably peek at it every once in a while, but sitting and watching it feels almost like uh, punishment. So I'll enjoy the day with some friends and, uh, catch the game as uh, I can during the party. Well-deserved R and R Rod Wood. Thank you so much for joining us here this afternoon on focus. Uh, with Bud Denker, Rod Wood, President and CEO of the Detroit Lions. We continue football talk here on WJR on the Focus Show. A couple of people instrumental in the draft coming up next. Stay with us. And it's Marie Osborne alongside. We have 77 days until the NFL draft hits the Motor City. It will be another opportunity for Detroit to show its stuff. Bud Denker, I know there's been so much planning on this. And uh, there are a couple people who are very instrumental in actually shaping the imaging of the city of Detroit for this huge event. Yeah, indeed, Marie. And we're so grateful to have Terry Radigan chair of the 2024 NFL Draft, lifelong GM executive who recently retired, and also Eric Larson, who's CEO of the Downtown Detroit Partnership with us today, obviously the guy that oversees so much of what happens downtown in terms of opportunities and our parks and all the initiatives going on, including the Grand Prix of Detroit. But And also they've been, they've been at the pinnacle of helping Claude Molinari, who's the president and CEO of the Detroit Metro Convention and Visitors Bureau, in pitching Detroit getting us out in front of the NFL, getting us out in front of the public as the destination to have the NFL draft. And as you said, Marie, we're 77 days away when all eyes will be on Detroit. So, Terry, starting with you, welcome, by the way. Give our listeners an idea of the excitement that we expect to occur in our city uh, on April 25th to 27th. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. And I will tell you, I'm out here in Vegas right now at Radio Row uh, and in the media center. And the number of people, we've got a display, bud, that that says Detroit is on the clock, April 25, April 27. So they come up, folks come up, the media, we've interviewed, done a ton of interviews out here. And the buzz is palpable. People are excited. Yes, I I just listened to Rod's, uh, your interview with Rod and that, that is so true about America's team. I can't tell you the number of people who have come up and, and said, we were pulling for you. We're so disappointed that the Lions weren't here, but, you know, we'll be here next year, et cetera. So it's just so cool the way this is all working out. Lions b- fever is at a, as a fever pitch, I should say. And, uh, and now we got the draft coming. And what that's going to be is a free event for people from all over the country and all over the world. 
and it's going to take place, you know, basically downtown campus Marshes area down to Hart Plaza. And, you know, the actual footprint will be announced um, a little bit later, but that's the general area and it's 100% free. And we think we're going to have people from all 32 markets, uh, NFL markets there. And, you know, there's a lot of markets, rabid fans in Buffalo and Cleveland and Chicago and Cincinnati. They're all going to be driving here and mm-hmm. uh, they're going to see what an amazing city we have. That's, that's a great point you brought up. Um, and Eric, with the draft being attended by fans from all 32 NFL teams, not just two teams for Super Bowl, but all 32 NFL teams, a national television audience watching us for these three days. What will hosting the draft, Eric, mean to our city? Eric, you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, great to be with you, Bud and, and Marie and, and Terry. Great to hear your voice. Have fun out there. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it is uh, it is hard to quantify, you know, the impact that we're going to get off of not only those that are coming into town, uh, and as you said, 32 cities, uh, you know, 32 teams, six cities are within a four-hour drive time, so we're going to have people driving in, tailgating, participating. But we also are going to be on eight different national stations, and so you're going to have hundreds of millions of people watching uh, Detroit uh, over the three-day period. I can't, I can't underestimate the impact uh, that this will have and the value that it has in changing perceptions making sure people understand where Detroit is, is headed and, and ultimately but focusing on the kind of economic opportunities that big events like this drive. We are going to succeed every expectation the NFL had coming out of Nashville because that was their last high water mark. I think Detroit is going to mm-hmm. beat Nashville, and I think it only benefits, as Rod said, that we're coming off an incredible season with the Lions, and the Lions really have been adopted as America's team. Indeed. Um, Terry, go back to something you briefly mentioned that's very important, and that's the inclusion of what this event will be for us in Detroit and our state. You mentioned that pe- people can come down for free. Talk a bit more about what that means. Well, it's, it's a very inclusive event, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Rod. We're working with all of the districts of the city of Detroit, uh, city council districts. We've got, And this is a, a suburban thing as well. We want everyone to feel part of this. Uh, we have a legacy community impact, um, a million dollars, actually, of, of the funding that we've raised is going to a legacy program, two of them, really, uh, Beyond Basics, so for literacy in the city of Detroit with the Detroit Public Schools Community District, and also uh, some active play activities with Project Play, so getting kids out. And, and um, that's not something that's just going to be for this year. That's going to carry on long after the draft is gone. That's why we call it a legacy, and we think it's unprecedented for a city that's hosting the draft to also give back to the community on an ongoing basis, and that's a very Detroit thing. That's how we do it. So um, a lot of amazing things are taking place, and we want everyone to feel a part of it. All the neighborhoods, everyone should feel comfortable to come on down, and um, you know, we'll put a, a great put a face on, on our city and, and really change a lot of perceptions. You know, these legacy opportunities don't come around for many events. And we saw it in 2006 with the Super Bowl when obviously we started the Grand Prix back on Bella, which needed a lot of help back then. And Roger will talk about that in a little bit. Roger Penske will be on the show here uh, in a little bit. Um, Eric, we saw it with Clean Detroit, didn't we? And the legacy that it brought to downtown uh, Detroit as well. 
And, um, and Eric, we saw what it did to our city parks. And Eric, you've done just a remarkable job for our city to now being able to activate these parks. Be confident that when people come to our city, and Eric, you, you said the word perception, to change that perception about our city. Talk about how important that is. Yeah, but I mean, and, and you know, you and I and, and Roger and the entire Penske team have seen that through the Grand Prix every year. And now with it back on the streets of Detroit, uh, we're, we're driving, and no pun intended, but we really are driving uh, not only economic impact, but changing it, uh, of perceptions. We're getting people that never have been in the city of Detroit, or if they were here, they were here a long time ago. And every time we bring somebody back to the city of Detroit that hasn't experienced the city recently, they are blown away with where we are and we, the opportunities that we offer. So I think this is incredibly important. I think it's also important that, you know, as, you know, as Terry is saying, we're, we're not just leaning into the rabid NFL fan. We really are trying to make sure that the entire public has something to do. The public will have, the, obviously, the ability to access through the, one, through the NFL's one path the draft activities and footprint, but the whole downtown will be activated. Our small businesses will benefit from the level of activity. And ultimately, uh, we start to drive uh, the best opportunity to do more of these events. 2027, we've got the Final Four, and it's just going to be a cascading opportunity of, 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 of you know, quite frankly, uh, greater, greater uh, driving greater activity in the downtown. And a lot of that has to do with the foundation that many of us have been working on for, for many, many decades. Clean Detroit was one of them. Now the biz is there. The ambassador's out in full, 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 uh, full staff. And, uh, and all of those things have set the backdrop for our ability to attract, but also most importantly, pull off some of the best experiences people have, have ever had. Great. And Terry, we got a minute left here. Um, Terry, you mentioned setup and, and the staging of it. What you probably can't give all the secrets away yet, but where can people expect to go for free? Is it Hart Plaza? Is the activation areas in Hart Plaza? Anything you can there share with us now in the last few seconds of our interview? Yeah, yeah, the Hart Plaza area, Bud, will be where the NFL experience is. We know that's true. It's just the part that we don't know exactly is where the stage will be. It's just basically starts at Hart Plaza and it ends up near Campus Martius, including all of those areas. And so uh, that's what people can expect. That's the heart of it. And um, I think what happens here, the NFL needs to get through the Super Bowl, and then they focus 100% on the draft. And so we're going to have a lot of stories and a lot of news to share with folks um, you know, very soon. So Terry Radigan, the chair of the Detroit Sports Commission, thank you for joining us and painting this great picture of what this NFL draft will not just mean for the city of Detroit, but really for the region and not just for football fans, but for everyone. Eric Larson, CEO of the Downtown Detroit Partnership, also joining in. Thanks so much for joining us here on Focus today. We continue and we'll be right back here on Focus. And we are back here on Focus. Bud Denker sitting in the big chair today, president of the Penske Corporation. I'm Marie Osborne sitting alongside our next guest, Roger Penske, the chairman of Penske Corporation. And Bud, before you take over the interview, I want to share a story about Roger Penske Please. that I've told many times. Welcome, Roger. So good to talk Hi. with you. Yeah, great to talk to you. Thank you. I promise it's a good story. So years ago, uh, the year before the Super Bowl came to uh, Detroit, we did uh, the winter blast, of course, because we want to get people used to enjoying the outside and enjoying winter here in the in the metropolitan Detroit area. 
And uh, I was working for another radio station. We were broadcasting live on a Saturday, the first day of Winter Blast, from the CompuWare building. We got 10 inches of snow, some just huge amount of snow. And we're all, you know, we're all rushing in, those of us that were broadcasting, rushing into the CompuWare building to get to the site. And as I'm going through the CompuWare building, I look through the front door, and there's a man standing out there, a tall guy with, with a red coat on and a shovel, shoveling the walkway into the CompuWare building. And as I got closer, I, I said, that's that's Roger Penske shoveling <laughs> snow. And I thought, they don't have someone else that could shovel snow here? And I got to the broadcast booth, and I shared this information with my coworkers. Everybody was impressed. And then a short time later, you came by and said to us, Oh, what can I get you guys? Do you guys want some coffee? Can I get you something to eat? Not introducing yourself, not telling us who you were. We knew. But that story has always stayed with me. And I've always and I've told that story many times because it's so meaningful to me about true leadership. Well, Murray, thanks uh, for the good comments. I guess, you know, when I was engaged with the Super Bowl and what we're doing there was about you know, helping the city and getting a different face on it. But all of everyone has been a big factor in getting us where we are today. So thanks for the shout-out. That's terrific. Thank you. You know, Roger, um, it's great to have you on, by the way. I saw you about two hours ago in the office, and I'll see you about another two hours when I'm back in your office. But anyway, you know, you we really got involved. You got involved in Detroit in the with the Super Bowl back in 2006. And you got a call from Bill Ford, I believe it was, in 2001, Tell us about that call and kind of what's led to where we are today in Detroit and all your support. Well, Bud, uh, hey, I see you're in the chairman's chair. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I might change, might change places with you. No. But, no, really, uh, <clears throat> in 2001, I got a call from Bill Ford, and he asked me if I'd chair the Super Bowl. Of course, when you get a call like that, you say, well, you hang up and say, I'll call you back. But very quickly, I said, I'm glad to take it on. And I would say this, that the people, Susan Shear, I want to shout out for her. She became really, you know, my key person to help us build this whole ability to first challenge the NFL owners to get the Super Bowl for 2006. But it was a, it was a team effort, everybody around the city. And I didn't realize that it was going to be have such an impact on the city and what would happen going forward. And when you think about it, uh, it was three years almost we were in the making to get it ready and going to the different cities to see how they were handling security and the different things that were meaningful. But, you know, on, on, on Super Bowl day, we had a great, a great time. I think the city showed well, and it was a, certainly a team effort. But when I think about that and I think about the face that was put on the city over the last couple of months with Alliance. It's just been amazing. The Ford family it was committed then, it's been committed, and to see Campbell and his team take us to where we are. I know we didn't get the final prize, but still I think the city has show, showed well, and there were so many people I met around the country that were rooting for Detroit. But, uh, you know, I think over time we, we got out of Super Bowl, Bud and Marie, and people said, what are we going to do? Well, first thing I said, let's keep the city clean. We spent a lot of time and effort painting windows up along Woodward Avenue, cleaning up I-75, cleaning up I-94. But So we put together what we called Clean Detroit. And this was really an amazing thing as we could go to Goodwill and get people who didn't have a job. And we started Clean Detroit. And I think that uh, 
We provided trucks. Uh, even Gary Torgo back at that point gave us a garage we could park our trucks in at night. But that became kind of the nameplate for Claim Detroit as we went forward. And now, obviously, it's handled by the downtown business district. But uh, that was a starter, I guess. And then, of course, uh, Belle Isle came up. Let's go back and race at Belle Isle. And, of course, that was close to my heart, obviously, with IndyCar racing. And I went to Mark Royce at GM and said, would GM be interested in partnering with us? And I guess uh, we all know the answer to that. And then Bud and his team have brought it back you know, to really downtown where we we'll won't be on Belle Isle. We'll be right down in front of the GM building this year. So to me, these are the big events that make a big difference. And the TV coverage that we get showing off Detroit during these races has just been outstanding on national TV. So we started the Super Bowl. We had clean Detroit and so many other good things happened. Certainly, Duggan gets a lot of credit over the last terms that he's been here, keeping our city safe and secure. You know, it's a model city today for many of us, and I think as we look forward, the things that we can do just to make it better, and we certainly want to play our part. Well, and you've been at the lead, Roger, so many initiatives from with Mayor Bing and helping with the police cars, 100 new police cars, 23 MS units, the the M1 rail, but being the chairman of that for so many years as well. Give us a little insight of what that's meant to our city, Roger, just the development along that way from Q-Line that has been here now a few years. Well, let's start with the police cars. You imagine, we sat in a meeting with Dave Bing early one morning. It was snowing downtown. He said, I've got a couple of problems. He said, number one, I I can't buy any police cars. Number two, I don't have any EMS units. And I made three phone calls. In fact, I called him after the meeting. I said, Dave, let me take this one on. I would say within seven days, GM, Ford, and Chrysler stepped up, and we had the cars, and then we went ahead and fitted them out. And some of those cars, I think, are still still in uh, service today. So the EMS was really key because you could call EMS and not get anybody for a day, three hours, or four hours. So that's made a big difference, I think, as we now have the capital to meet those requirements here in the city. Certainly, when you think about... Uh, the, the entire uh, city itself and where it is today, and we talked about safe and secure, and I think that the that the police cars and the EMS was just part of, of the initiative. And I've got to give, uh, you know, Dan Gilbert, uh, you know, the Illiches, uh, certainly uh, uh, Rip Rats and at, uh, at Kresge, and many, many of the organizations, Henry Ford, and all the other areas, people in the city that have done so much and this is really a group of what I call private sector people who care about the city. I was here back uh, in the 70s when we became a Chevy dealer out in Southfield. So I saw the city in one face, saw it turn to another one, and now obviously where we are today. So, you know, it's been a journey. But on the other hand, I think that we've got a solid base. Look at look at our capital. Look at our credit rating. All of these things have been, been increased, and we're in great shape as we go forward to provide the citizens of Detroit, what they need from a safety and security standpoint. So I'm thrilled with it. Roger Penske, we're thrilled with it as well. Thank you for joining us today, the chairperson of the Penske Corporation. On Thursday, February 22nd, Mike Tarico will have a fireside chat with Roger and Dan Lepp, CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield, at the Downtown Detroit Partnership Annual Meeting at the MGM Grand Hotel uh, from 11 to 2. You can go to Downtown Detroit Partnership website, downtowndetroit.org, and get your tickets there. We'll continue on Focus with Bud Denker here on WJR.
And it's Marie Osborne joining along with Bud Denker, president of Penske Corporation. I'm glad that Bud gave me this opportunity to be able to sit alongside. Some great interviews so far, but Bud, we're going to do a little pivot here from the NFL to something I know is really in your wheelhouse. And that, of course, is the Grand Prix that we're all looking forward to. Well, thanks, Marie. And we have spent a lot of time about football this morning, which is so relevant because the NFL draft's coming up 77 days away in our city. Super Bowl, of course, this uh, coming weekend. So it's all eyes or we'll be on Detroit here in a couple of months. But also all eyes will be on the racing season as we start here in a, in a few weeks as well, too. And we got Joseph Newgarden on, who's the 2023 Indianapolis 500 winner for Chevrolet and for Team Penske. Welcome, Joseph. Hey, great to talk with you both. So, Joseph, we are 29 days away from the opening of the IndyCar Series which you've been the champion of twice, by the way. Uh, we start our first race in, in St. Petersburg, but you tackled a very different racing series last week in Daytona with the Porsche Penske Motorsport GTP car and won the Rolex 24 Hours race in your very first time. Tell us about that experience, what it meant for you, and what it meant for Roger Penske as well. Well, it's a great way to start the year. You know, the uh, 24 hours of Daytona is a, a pretty iconic race in, in North America and really globally speaking. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's endurance racing at its finest. You got to last 24 hours and, you know, to be able to run that event with a, a iconic manufacturer like Porsche teamed up with team Penske. I think it was really special, you know, for, for me as a driver, it's, it's a dream to have one of those situations come your way and, and be a part of it. And, and I know for Roger, um, it must have been, you know, a, a huge achievement. It was big for everybody. I think the relationship between Porsche and Team Penske and, you know, Porsche itself and, and really Team Penske as a racing team, it just, it's the best way you can start the year and you try and follow that up with many more results. But when you hit the ground running like that, it, it normally uh, gives you a little bit of momentum. Well, I understand you got a beautiful Rolex Daytona watch that you're probably going to gift to your favorite radio host when we see you in, in St. Petersburg. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> um but, you know, it had been since 1969 since Rogers won that race. So Joseph saw what it meant to Roger afterwards. I mean, the emotion that came from him was amazing. And, Joseph, we want to thank you and your fellow three other drivers for what you did. But shifting to IndyCar now, you know, after 12 attempts, you finally won the Indianapolis 500 last May. Roger is 19th Indy 500. I think the next winningest owners maybe has five. Roger's got 19. Well, first of all, after 12 attempts, what took you so damn long? And secondly, what impact has had winning this race had on you, your career, and your family? Well, it's certainly tremendous, you know, just to, to be there and to be a part of it. it. You know, it took me 12 attempts, as you said. So I, I've been there a long time. And, you know, I've, I've loved IndyCar racing. I grew up dreaming of, of being a race car driver, really, in a lot of ways. Uh, never really thought that would become a reality, but IndyCar, the Indianapolis 500 is, is one of those places you, you know, dream of going and, and having, you know, been there for so many years and had the opportunity to compete and to leave heartbroken. That's really what happens at Indianapolis. You, you run there the entire month of May. And if you don't win it, you leave with a broken heart. So to have 11 broken hearts, it made the, the 12th one very special to finally win it and, and to win it for Roger Penske and, and our team. And, you know, every member that's, that's a part of our group, it was, it was very gratifying. You know, I think we, we pride ourselves in excellence at Team Penske. We try and do things the right way, uh, you know, to compete fiercely, but with integrity. 
And, you know, when we show up, that, that excellence factor is, is very much magnified at the 500. You know, we, we go there to win. And so to be able to, to win that race for this team, um, it's, it's a huge deal. I can't underscore uh, the significance enough. So it, it was a big deal for everybody involved, certainly from my family side. You can imagine the amount of years and the, the sacrifice to get to that point. So, yeah, very, very happy to finally uh, climb that mountain together with everybody. Well, you know, back in 2020, Roger Penske bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, this iconic facility that only four people have ever owned. And by the way, right now, looking at the ticket sales this morning, if we had the race tomorrow, think about this, everybody. If we had the race in Indy tomorrow, we would have 225,000 people there already. Isn't that crazy? Already. We have 70-some days left, and it'll be another sellout, I hope. You know, in IndyCar, Joseph, you race on street courses like you do in Detroit, road courses like mid-Ohio, small ovals like Iowa and St. Louis, and these big speedways like Indianapolis. Explain the difference for our listeners from your perspective from an Indy 500 race to the streets of Detroit. Well, you know, I think it really starts with the DNA of motorsport. You know, when when you think about automotive and, you know, driving vehicles on the road and, and, you know, how does that translate to motorsport? I mean, it's really founded off of the DNA of, of IndyCar racing in a lot of ways. It starts with the Indy 500. You know, that, that race was about proving man and machine uh, and testing the boundaries and, and, you know, developing these innovations for us to drive road cars. So, you know, I love IndyCar racing, and, and I give that context because that's really that's what this series is all about. It's all about, you know, diverse challenges that we're, we're going through all year. So running at the Indianapolis 500 is a complete you know, 180 to what we do in Detroit. Detroit's a street circuit. It's, you know, it's very much, uh, you know, it's very much a live situation. This is where people drive every day on these roads. It's, it's, a, it's a much different challenge. And, and those are all, those are both different to a place like Iowa Speedway, which is a seven eighths mile oval. So it's a little bullring track or a mid Ohio, which is a permanent road course track that you would find in, in sort of rural um, Ohio. So, you know, I, I love it. It keeps you really challenged as an individual as you know that's what we enjoy doing we like showing up to the racetrack and kind of like trying to launch a rocket to the moon we, we've got a you know a team of engineers and people that are trying to figure out this puzzle each and every weekend and figure it out quicker than the teams around you um and that's what we do you know we we try and you know solve those pro- problems as quickly as we can and and put on a great show so it's what i fell in love with indycar racing and and, and what it's all about you know after a 31 year absence you know, a few of us brought racing back to the streets of Detroit, the Motor City last summer with the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear. I can just imagine. Tell us what it's like to have a race car go flying down Jefferson Avenue legally at 190 <laughs> miles an hour. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You know, I've been I've been going to Detroit since 2012 and, you know, started off that journey going over to Belle Isle and you know, just loved the atmosphere of Detroit. It's very much a community city. You feel that when you come to the Detroit Grand Prix. And so now having moved that downtown, it's even more of a community event. It's very engaged and, you know, inclusive. And uh, it's just, it, it was, it's such a robust shift for the event itself. And then, like you said, being able to drive on Jefferson uh, with an Indy car at nearly 200 miles per hour. I, I, I don't know that I ever thought that was going to happen. So uh, the fact that we're doing it, uh, we're doing it in a big way with the city engaged. It's it's very fun. It's a uh, it's a challenging track. You know, it's it's one of these places, and that's how street courses are. You know, you these environments are supposed to test you, and you know, it's it's trying to contain this 
800 horsepower indie cars, super lightweight. You're trying to keep it off the concrete barriers and, you know, and go faster than the competition. So that's what's exciting. When you go see it, it's a very visceral experience. If you're a fan, you can get up close and personal to these uh, high horsepower cars and, you know, really feel the energy that they put out. You know, last question for you is in the last segment, we had my boss and your boss, Roger Penske, on with us. And um, when you think about coming to Detroit, you get the home of Chevrolet, the home of General Motors, the world headquarters. You're racing around their headquarters, the home of Penske Corporation. Any more pressure to race here than somewhere else? <laughs> well, there's always pressure. You know, uh, I think when you when you drive for Roger Penske, when you work for Roger Penske, as you know, Bud, um, you know, there's there's a pressure of, of, you know, excellence. But I never find it a demand. You know, for me, it's it's a it's a self determination to want to be the best that we can be. And and in Detroit, we want to show up and you know, do a great job for all our partners. And you know, it's one of the most beautiful cities to do it in. So I hope we have some speed this year. And hopefully we're coming off the back of, a, of another successful Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden, we really hope you have the speed when you return here to Detroit. We are glad you were here and had such a great race. Joseph Newgarden, IndyCar Series race driver, Team Penske, of course. We continue the drive when we come back. Another uh, NASCAR Cup Series race driver will be joining us after the break. Stay with us here on WJR. Be caller 9 at 1-800-859-0WJR. That's 0957 to win a pair of tickets to experience Aretha's Gold. Be there as Classic Albums Live and its roster of A-list musicians bring Aretha Franklin's greatest hits to the Coliseum stage at Caesars Windsor on Sunday, February 25th. For a bonus chance to win, text Aretha to 800-859-0957. All the official rules are at WJR.com. Tickets are available for purchase at Ticketmaster.com. And uh, Bud Denker is sitting in in the big chair for Paul W. Smith today. Uh, I'm thrilled to be alongside. And the drive continues. We've got another driver to talk to. Good good, good lead in there. The drive continues. Well, welcome back, everyone. And it's great to once again be on Focus with Paul W. Smith. Paul, we're we miss you here, and um, certainly based upon the first hour performance of me, you have nothing to be worried about. Um, but anyway, at Team Penske, you know, we're fortunate to have great drivers, you know, drivers who are technologically savvy, commercially savvy, and also know how to win. And Ryan Blaney is our next guest, and like Joseph Newgarden, carries these th- characteristics well, and the fact that he won his first and Roger Penske's two-in-a-row 2023 NASCAR Cup Championship just a few months ago in Phoenix. Uh, Ryan, welcome to Focus with Paul W. Smith. Hey, thank you guys for having me so much. Uh, what an intro, bud. I think you're a natural. <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting too comfortable here, Ryan. <laughs> um, let's um, take a look back at last year, Ryan. You know, a year in NASCAR that started out okay in Daytona. The first few races, we looked pretty good as a team. Team Penske did. Um, your number 12 team, of course, as well. It kind of fell off in the middle, and we were kind of questioning what's going on here. And then um, I think you did as well, and then we kind of peaked at the right time, didn't we? So how did it all come together to win your first championship? Yeah, you know, it, it was definitely a – it was a fun year, that's for sure, 2023. You know, there was, it, it had its challenges, uh, but I was very proud of our team rising to the occasion, you know, and accepting those challenges and – and getting really, really fast when it mattered. So 
I mean, like you said, we, we started off the year pretty good, won the Coke 600 in Charlotte in May, huge win for us. Um, same weekend that, that Joseph Newgarden won the Indy 500 and mm-hmm. uh, a great accomplishment. And then, you know, for a couple months, two, three months in the summer, we, we lost a little bit of speed. Um, you know, I think some of that was, you know, after we won Charlotte, it allowed us to try certain things um, that maybe we were interested in. And since we were locked into the playoffs, okay, it, it lets your leash get a little bit longer of, of trying different things that you learn from, whether, you know, you learn positively from them or the things you try sometimes don't work. I mean, that's just motorsports and not everything's going to work out. But uh, we learned all that, you know, what did and didn't work for us in the summer, we were able to apply it for when the playoffs came, you know, and we were able to take things that we learned uh, and then evolve the things that we, you know, didn't work out for us and we could maximize our potential and speed once the playoffs started. And then we kept getting better week in and week out through the playoffs. And that was even better. Um, you know, we kept improving. And when we got to, you know, the round of eight, the final, you know, handful of races, gosh, we were just on fire, you know, the fastest car out there every single week. And, and it was nice that the final month of the season, we were, you know, peaking at the perfect time, like you said, and, and was able to put it all together in Phoenix to, to win my first title and, and get RP back-to-back cup championships too. Well, you know, Roger's been racing a long time, but think about how hard it is to win when you think about this. Roger's won the championship four times, four times in all these years. And then, as Ryan, you mentioned, back-to-back cup championships. What's it like to see him in winner's circle? You can't buy him much, can you? You can't buy him much. The best thing we can buy him are wins. Is that right? That's right. You know, it's – it's uh like you said, you can't, you can't buy RP really much at all. And, and the best way that I can repay him for the opportunities that he's given me is to win races, win championships, you know, continue to just keep adding to things that, uh, you know, whether he's already accomplished, like winning championships and just adding more or, you know, adding first, it was really neat to to do and be a part of things that he hasn't done yet. You know, like, like sweep the Indy 500 and the Coke 600 on the same weekend uh, to win back-to-back cup titles. The first time that, that group's done that, you know, so I was saying it's very rare that you can accomplish something that Mr. Penske has not done already. And it was super neat to be a part of, you know, a couple things that we were able to bring him to just continue to build on these memories and, and just this historic, you know, ownership that he's had across all different types of motorsports. So just to be a small part of that um, and me and my whole team, we're, we're super thrilled and honored to just get a shot. And then when you deliver like that, it, it definitely makes you proud. So that was one of the coolest things, after the race in Phoenix was, you know, seeing Mr. Penske, seeing you, seeing Walter, seeing Tim Sendrick, seeing John Menard right out of the car, you know, and just sharing that emotion and that joy uh, together was something that's really hard to recreate. I'd like to recreate it one day, but uh, that those things you'll never, never forget. Well, he'd never won back-to-back. He's also never won, because of that, a three-peat. So the expectations are very high, Ryan, for you to do the that's same right. thing as well. Through, You know, on Sunday... February 18th, just the week after next, after Super Bowl weekend, you start your season with NASCAR's own Super Bowl, the Daytona 500. As you've been off now a few months, how have you prepared? How is the team prepared for 2024? We have a new Ford Mustang we're going to put on the racetrack. And what can you tell, Roger, what can you tell myself and our listeners what to expect from the number 12 Ford team leading into Daytona? Well, I expect us to be – uh, incredibly fast when we unloaded Daytona. You know, we, we've done a great job throughout the years of, of preparing well through the winter months uh, to be prepared for the next season. Even though, obviously, we were very busy at the end of last year, we turn our, and shift our focus to, okay, how can we even 
be better, you know, the following year and uh, continue to build on knowledge. And, uh, you know, the 500, that's top of my list right now. You know, I have a list of goals for 2024, and that is P1 because that's something that, I mean, that uh, what a run that would be, win the championship and then the next, you know, start off the next year with the 500 win. Um, we've been close to that thing so many times. I mean, I've run a second there, I think, three times. <laughs> yes, you have. We lost it, lost it a few years ago by three feet, you know. So just trying to be able to bring that one home, uh, that's, that's the next goal. Um, obviously, I mean, everyone knows the importance of that race, but um, we do a great job at Team Penske between all our drivers, me, Joey, and Austin, of working well together and trying to figure out a way that one of us can be around at the end of this race uh, to try to win it. So that's, that's the goal, um, you know, and a lot of prep, whether it's the cars, you know, like you said, we have a new dark horse Mustang that Ford is debuting that we're very excited about. Uh, I have a new spotter this year, Tim Fidua, so I'm excited to work with Tim. He was Kevin Harvick's spotter for a long time. Uh, so when Kevin retired, Tim and I decided to work together. So I'm really excited to get the year rolling with Tim. So just a lot of, you know, checklists of, okay, are we prepared? You know, what are things we can improve on from 23 that we can build off of in 24? What did we do well in 23 that we can, you know, apply again? So there's always, it doesn't matter if you, you know, finish first in the standings or 30th in the standings. There's always things you're trying to improve on and get better. And I think our team has, has done the best job that we can of pinpointing these things and, and trying to apply them. And, uh, yeah, you see where you're at here at the 500. So hopefully uh, we have a good weekend here, and it's it's here before you know it. Well, we'll be down there, Roger and I, next Friday to see you at uh, is on, the, and we expect that performance out of all you guys, and we appreciate it as well too. But one other thing before we leave here in the next few seconds, you know, after winning your first championship, you also did something pretty special with your best friend Gianna yeah. Tulio. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, um, Gianna and I got engaged uh, in December. Um, it was, so it was a big two months, you know, from winning the championship, uh, I got engaged and then I turned 30 in December as well. So I, I had a big, big milestones there. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very excited. John and I have you know been together for a handful of years and, and we're really excited for the next step. And she's been absolutely amazing to me and, and my life. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to, to tie the knot here next off season. So, um, a, a lot of things to try to top from the end of last year, but we're going to do our best to try to make it even better than 23. Ryan Blaney, congratulations on the engagement and all the success you've had uh, in your racing. Uh, Ryan Blaney, NASCAR Cup Series race driver for Team Penske. We continue here on WJR. We'll be back in a moment. And I'm Marie Osborne alongside with Bud Denker. Bud, we just can't get enough talk about the Grand Prix. Now, I know we're all geared up for the NFL, which is coming, what, in 77 days. But we're, a lot of us are anticipating uh, the June Grand Prix when we really get to enjoy some nicer weather around these parts and some good racing. Absolutely, Maria. And it's great to have, Absolutely, Maria, and it's great to have um, Jim Campbell and, and Michael Montroy on the show here now, uh, focused with Paul W. Smith. And, and uh, these two next guests are two people who are highly responsible for staging and hosting and bringing the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear to our city streets. And now it's on its 16th year since I've been involved. Let me introduce uh, Jim Campbell, who's vice president of uh, performance and motorsports for General, Man- for General Motors, and Michael Montry, vice president of Penske Corporation and president of the Detroit Grand Prix. Guys, it's great to have you on the show this- today. Bud, thanks for having us. Uh, great to be on. Jim, let's start with thanks, you. Bud. Um, you oversee global motorsports for General Motors that includes NASCAR, IndyCar, NHRA, IMSA, the World Endurance Championships, and other racing series. Tell our listeners 
what it's why it's important to race in motorsports, but also what you learn on the racetrack that we drive on the highway every single day. Yeah, but we uh, love racing and performance at our company, and we have a deep tradition and history around it. From Louis Chevrolet, co-founder of the company, him and his brothers, they raced at Indianapolis at the Indy 500. Uh, there's a rich history of Cadillac and racing, and so we love it. But beyond that, there's there's several key reasons we race. Number one, we call it tech transfer. What we learn on the racetrack helps us build better cars, trucks, and propulsion systems for the showroom. That's a fact. It's great learning, quick learning, plus the tool sets that we use to prepare to race, whether it's CFD or simulation or aero tools, we can apply back to our production vehicles uh, to, to be better there as well. So the first reason is tech transfer. The second reason, it's a great place to develop people, whether they're engineers or business people in this fast-paced environment of racing where the green flag drops every 7 to 14 days, ready or not. And so the, the, uh, these employees really hone their skills about quick problem solving, taking advantage of opportunities quickly. When they rotate back to production jobs, they're better for it, and so are we as a company. And then third reason why we love to race is when you win big races like the Detroit Grand Prix, the Indianapolis 500, Daytona 500, 24 Hours of Le Mans. It lifts our brands. And when you lift the brand opinion, people put you on their shopping list more quickly, and we love that. And then finally, Race fans get to the track early, and so we have a chance in the midways to show our, our new cars and trucks and crossovers and our new technologies to our current customers, and then also for people that have never purchased from us, they get to discover what's new. Those are the reasons why we race, plus we love it. Well, and we love to win for you also, Jim, and Team Penske is proud to run Chevrolets in the IndyCar Series, and with our alliance, we just had Joseph on a minute ago, our 19th Indy 500 win for Roger Penske last May, but you know, Jim, switching to the Grand Prix now of Detroit, you, Mark Rice, and Mary Barr were instrumental in bringing world-class world class racing back to our city in 2012. And if it wasn't for you, it wouldn't have happened. Why is that important for you to bring racing back to the streets of Detroit, then on Belle Isle, but now in downtown Detroit? Yeah, well, it's great to partner with Roger Penske and yourself and Michael and the whole Grand Prix team. To, to, to bring racing back where it belongs. This is the Motor City. This is where racing and performance certainly needs to be featured, and to do it right around our world headquarters or in the case of when we were racing on Belle Isle, just a mile and a quarter down the road uh, on, on Belle Isle, it's, it's been fabulous. And it's great for our employees. We can rally around all, all the vehicles and teams that represent our brands, including uh, Team Penske and the IndyCar Series, and, and then also great for our, the suppliers that support our business. They can rally around it and importantly, great for the race fans, both uh, hardcore race fans that love racing and people that want to discover racing for the first time, Belle Isle Grand Prix previously, and now the Detroit Grand Prix. Downtown Detroit's a great place to discover performance in racing for the whole family. You know, and, uh, and Michael, you wear so many hats for us at Penske Corporation, including being president of the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix presented by Lear. You know, this event means so much to our city, our region, and our state. And as Jim said, we're still the Motor City capital of the world. Tell us about the importance of moving the race from Belle Isle down to the streets of Detroit and why that idea that you had was such a great idea that, and the benefits that it brought to us. Yeah, thanks, Bud. Um, you know, and thanks to General Motors uh, for helping us do it, like you said. Uh, couldn't do it without them. Um, but when we, when we were thinking about moving it, um, I, I just remember uh, talking to all the residents in the neighborhoods and, and the folks of Detroit who recalled with fond memory when it was downtown and how it started downtown and there was such nostalgia there 
they had grown up with it. They had grown up going to the race with their parents, their grandparents. And um, it really became really clear how much pride there was in the city around this event. Um, and with the move back downtown, uh, we were able to open it up, have much more access. It's a much more inclusive event now. Um, you know, over 50% of the racetrack is open and free for people to come down and view. Um, and it's just, it's become a, a great city event uh, in just, just one year of moving it back downtown. It was great on Belle Isle, um, but it just has a different feel. Um, the, the businesses that benefit, the restaurants, the bars, the hotels, um, the retail shops, um, there was over $104 million in economic spend last year during our event during that weekend. And it's just, it's a, it's become really uh, one of the, one of the cornerstones of, of the Detroit events in the summer. So we're, we're, we're really proud of the move and, and uh, happy to be racing around uh, the headquarters of General Motors. <laughs> you know, let me repeat that, that Michael mentioned, you know, this, this event brought over $104 million to our economic strides here in Detroit, you know, Belle Isle, by the way, when we last measured it, it was about 55 million. So almost double the number of economic benefit that our city gained from having this race downtown. But Michael, also talk about the other benefits and the byproducts that people may not know about, the, the benefits to the nonprofits and those other people that were impacted by the event. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we've we always had a, a real strong, um, you know, sense of, of community around the race. We always try to to raise funds for uh, for charities. We're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit ourselves as the race, but we want to benefit um, other charities. And with the move downtown, we were able to um, to branch out uh, and uh, and really um, interact with more charities downtown. Um, so uh, we had five charities that that we um, that we worked with last year and raised over a million dollars uh, to benefit those charities uh, spread amongst them. Uh, in addition to that, we, we really wanted to involve um, the kids with art um, through the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we wanted to benefit businesses that weren't just in the downtown core. And um, thanks, thanks to our community partners, uh, we were able to, to have free pop-up shops for those businesses. Uh, we got over 72 applicants of businesses across the city uh, that were able to, uh, to come in and set up, about 30 of them actually, come in and set up right in the middle of Camps Marsh's Cadillac Square and, uh, and interact with the guests that were there um, for the race. And, um, and our hope is that the, the guests had a great experience with those businesses and go out and visit their brick and mortar stores uh, the other, you know, 51 weekends of the year. So um, it, it, it was, it really came off well last year. Thanks. Yeah. And for those that are interested, go to DetroitGP.com, DetroitGP.com and get your tickets because they are selling quickly. But hey, Jim, in the last um, 45 seconds here, you know, mention the other series, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship that's coming to our event this weekend, this year as well, the Grand Prix week. They didn't race here last year, but these are the Cadillacs, the BMWs, the Porsches, the, yeah. the Acura GPP cars, also your Corvettes. Mention to our guests what's coming to town on yeah, that Yeah, exactly right. In addition to IndyCar and IndyCar Next, uh, the IMSA series returns. Uh, to the Grand Prix. It's awesome. So uh, in the GTP category, Cadillac will be racing against Porsche, BMW, Acura, and Lamborghini. And then the Corvettes are in the GTD Pro class. They'll be racing against SM Martin, BMW, Ford, McLaren, Porsche, Mercedes, Lamborghini, Ferrari, and Lexus. It is going to be awesome. 1.7 miles, nine turns. The action is going to be amazing. Down the front stretch, those Cadillacs and Porsches, about 120 miles an hour before they get to turn three. It's going to be great.
How's that for name dropping? Thank you, Michael Montre, president of the Detroit Grand Prix, and Jim Campbell, motorsports chief. Uh, and we are continuing here on WJR talking all things Grand Prix, which will be in our future coming up in June. Stay with us here as WJR continues. And we continue here on WJR. Bud Denker sitting in for Paul W. Smith on the Focus Show today. I'm Marie Osborne sitting alongside. Uh, but I know you wanted to cap this all off with a really heartfelt interview, someone you know very well, and you wanted to give uh, the opportunity to talk about the great work this person's doing. Absolutely, Marie. And, and once again, to, to close out uh, Focus with Paul W. Smith's show today, and by the way, Paul, we do still miss you. And um, is to have a great friend of mine, an amazing person, uh, Father Tim McCabe, who's president and CEO of the Pope Francis Center. Welcome, Father McCabe. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me on. You know, Father McCabe, please provide um, our listeners, or with me now being on an hour and a half, our listener, um, a brief <laughs> understanding of your mission at the Pope Francis Center and the great work that you and your volunteers and your team do every day. Sure. So we have been a day center downtown um, at St. Peter and Paul Church right across from the Renaissance Center for 34 years now. And what we do is just try to provide for the basic needs of the folks who are on the streets. Basic needs including, you know, being treated with dignity, uh, recognizing their common humanity, but also, you know, services like we provide home-cooked meals, two-a-day, showers, laundry, medical, dental, clinics, anything that we can do to help them kind of uh, make it through the day um, as they're uh, kind of meeting these challenges of being homeless. You know, people are probably asking themselves, you know, Bud's been talking about football, been talking about racing, you know, why is he ending the show with Father McCabe and the Pope Francis Center? I'll get to that in a little bit because there's a great tie-in that we've come to know each other over the last year. You know, I've been down to your center and on the Jefferson Avenue there. I've admired the work that you do on a daily basis, but I also admire those highly successful executives like Jim Farley, CEO of Ford and Jim Vella, retired executive from Ford and Lear's CEO, Ray Scott, who have kind of adopted your center and put them under their wing as well too. What does their support mean to you? But also um, lead that question also into the fact that the fact that you're building a new center center construction. Tell us about that new center as well. Yeah, I mean, these guys are amazing. I mean, the business community around Detroit has really wrapped around the mission. And, you know, Farley comes down semi-regularly and volunteers, brings his family down. But more than that, it's it's an acknowledgement that there's a problem here with uh, folks experiencing homelessness. And they've really, you know, wrapped themselves around the solution, which is that you were speaking of the bridge housing facility. So we've been uh, working at this project since 2016 and it's coming to fruition in a couple of months, uh, the building will be done. But it, it really is uh, a transformational experience to really change the reality and to get folks that are experiencing homelessness into housing. You know, And that requires that we kind of deal with the presenting issues that are causing the homelessness, whether it's mental illness or addiction, all of it kind of being trauma-based and uh, recognizing that, bring them to a space where they can stabilize from those things, wrap around them like a family and like a community and help them kind of heal from that and then get them into housing. And I went around the country, I looked at 
27, 28 programs around the country, and I brought back kind of benchmarked what were best practices, and we put them into this program and into this building, and I'm, I'm convinced that we can end chronic homelessness in our city. You know, and I, I'm convinced we are, too, with your efforts. But, you know, let me re- recap what you provide to these folks. You provide these homeless people warm meals every day, a place to go for shelter. Um, you wash their clothes. Um, they get bathed there, providing personal hygiene. You know, Marie Osborne was telling me a story earlier today that before we came on about the person that was down there and this individual was, was actually ironing his clothes to show the pride that he had. He may not have had a home, but he was there ironing his clothes, right, Marie? Yeah. And what that um, meant to him. Yeah, that story coming from Father McCabe, and I was so struck by that. Um, that just goes to the to the core of what you do there, and that is to give people their dignity back. That's right, and everybody wants to feel better, you know, and, and there's nothing like a hot shower and clean clothes and to just kind of lift our spirits. I mean, we've all been in a place where, We've gone a day or two without showering because we're sick or whatever, and, and boy, that hot shower feels great. And you know, I do, and it's not just one person; it's a number of people that iron their clothes. You know, we want to look presentable. We want to be accepted by the surrounding community. And folks that are experiencing homelessness are no different than that. You know, come back to my comment before: what's this have to do with me, and what's it have to do with racing in Detroit, Father? And and as I as we built the racetrack. Michael Montre and I, we, we built it, and it, it was right in front of your center on Jefferson Avenue. And I said to Letty Azar and Meryl Kane, I said, uh-oh, are we going to um, impede Father's efforts that go on because we're right in front of the racetrack? And I think, Father, maybe you can tell people actually what is done in terms of also the contribution we've been able to provide you by us racing downtown now. You know, I, I have to hand it to you and your team. I mean, the engineering feat alone to put a racetrack in downtown Detroit is phenomenal. But, you know, I was one of the first phone calls that I got from your team. Letty called me to say, you know, what can we do to help keep your folks safe uh, and engaged during this time, uh, what during the race? And, you know, that got me involved in the conversation. And certainly we did all that we needed to do in that regard. But it was also like... We ended up becoming one of the charities of the Grand Prix. I got the privilege of giving the invocation um, and even saying mass for some of the racer car drivers uh, that Sunday morning. So it's been a great partnership, and the, the the financial contribution has been phenomenal because, you know, we we are all privately funded, so we, we rely on our business partners and our friends to help keep us going to make sure that there's enough food and that the work can pay for our, all the expenses involved in this project. So it's been great. I just, I, I'm a big fan of the Grand Prix now more than ever, but uh, it's been, it was really a fun event last year. It was the best energy in the city I can remember having experienced. Well, you'll be giving an invocation again, if we haven't told you yet, and you'll be also say, saying mass to me and many others that are down there that Sunday as well. So I appreciate that. And father's a, a Jesuit. My, my sons, Cameron and Christian are both, Jesuit men for others from uh, U of D. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of them as well too. And in the, in the seconds we have here, tell the folks about the uh, gala you have coming up on April 11th at Ford field. Sure. We have one big uh, fundraising event to help us uh, with our expenses. And that's going to be down right on the field this year. Like we were in the atrium last year, but we're actually going to be down on Ford field on the field this year. It's a great 
event. It's a lot of fun. We'll have see a, couple, a thousand or more people gathering for dinner and a, a fun evening. So uh, we'll be able to. It's uh, suits and sneakers. So come down and <laughs> we'll maybe kick a football around or uh, uh, have some fun on the field. So that's April 11th, uh, coming up in a couple months. April 11th down at Ford Field. And anyone that wants more information, go to our website at PopeFrancisCenter.com and dot org rather sorry and uh, uh we'd love to have you father mccabe we want to thank you so much for joining us today it's always a pleasure to talk with you keep praying for us won't you please, please. yeah we need it <laughs> so be happy to do that right and we'll keep watching out for you that's for sure but denker what a pleasure to have you in today so many great guests and it, the ability to really talk about what these big sports events can do for this city that we all love so much well, and Marie, the region. Well, Marie, you've made it very easy for me. Once again, thank you to Paul W. and uh, this show, the great show, Focus with Paul W. Smith, for being on. I really enjoyed it and learned a lot. Yeah, and we're glad that you were with us. Bud Denker, president of Penske Corporation. I'm Marie Osborne, filling in for Paul W. Smith on the Focus Show here on WJR. Chris Renwick, up next. Stay with us.